Welcome to the first episode of the Circular Planet podcast. In this episode, we will be digging deep into the inner workings of the current linear growth model, uncovering its problems and what they mean for each and every one of us and our planet moving forward. We'll introduce the idea of sustainability and why adopting sustainable practices is so critical. Finally, we'll introduce the principles of the circular economy as an emerging sustainable solution to the current linear growth model. So, let's get started. Let's begin with a seemingly simple question. When you have something you no longer want, what do you do with it? Do you just toss it in the trash? Most of us would probably say yes. Ever wondered where all that trash ends up? You probably already know, in a landfill or in the ocean. The most significant environmental concern related to landfills is methane. While we all know about the adverse effects of carbon dioxide, methane is far more effective at trapping heat while it lasts in the atmosphere. Over the first two decades after methane's release, it is more than 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide in warming the climate system. Globally, landfills are the third largest anthropogenic source of methane, accounting for approximately 11% of estimated global methane emissions. Landfills also produce carbon dioxide and other gases that contribute to climate change and create smog if left uncontrolled. While most landfills are required to have a proper lining, these liners tend to have leaks, which results in leachate, a liquid produced by landfill sites that can contaminate nearby water sources, further damaging ecosystems and negatively impacting people living nearby. And what about the oceans? Have you heard about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? It's a massive collection of floating trash, three times the size of France, located between California and Hawaii. And what's more, this is not the only garbage patch floating about in our seas. There are at least two more such areas where piles of trash gather, one in the South Pacific Ocean and another in the North Atlantic Ocean. And as many of us already know, Fish, seabirds, sea turtles, and other marine animals can become entangled or ingest pieces of waste, or even just debris, which can ultimately lead to their death. What is driving these enormous amounts of waste? Well, it's actually the result of our current linear economic growth model. So, let's take a step back to the bigger picture to see how it all happens, and how this defines the linear economy. The linear economy can be best described in four words. Take, make, use, toss. We take raw materials, make something out of them, use these products for a bit, and finally toss them away in the trash. While most of us may not even know it, we all contribute to the harmful effects of the current linear model of growth. Let's think of an example of a product we have all encountered and trace the life of this product within the linear model. How about a regular plastic bottle, the one with water or your favorite drink that you buy at the supermarket? Let's follow the life of our plastic bottle through the steps of the linear model that I just mentioned. Take, make, use, toss. First step, take. Natural resources like oil and coal get extracted from the earth. Oil is processed at a refinery and is the primary material used to make a plastic bottle. Remember, 
There isn't an infinite amount of oil for us to use. It will eventually run out. Unfortunately, non-renewable sources like oil supply over 80% of the world's energy consumption, including to power the factory at which our bottle is manufactured. The production process also requires water, lots of it. We often forget that water, especially fresh water, is a finite resource as well. Second step, make. In a factory, chemical processes transform the oil into plastic and shape the plastic into bottles. This process results in carbon dioxide emissions and contaminates nearby air and water sources with toxic substances. It takes over 800 grams of carbon dioxide to produce a single water bottle. If you've ever held an American football, 800 grams is about twice that weight. Plus, to make one plastic water bottle, an amount of water equal to about three times the volume of the bottle must be used. But this is just for a single water bottle, and a factory produces thousands upon thousands of bottles per day. And there are so many factories around the world. So while even two footballs worth may not seem like a lot, the emissions really do add up when thinking about the scale of production. Third step, use. We buy the bottle, drink the water, and toss it into the trash. The least amount of time is spent at this most important stage. Final step, toss. Our bottle ends up in a landfill or in the ocean. The average American uses 156 plastic bottles every year. And there are more than 300 million Americans and an additional 7 billion people worldwide who use plastic bottles. So again, the impact really does add up. Right now, you may be thinking, well, what about recycling? Unfortunately, up to 90% of plastic bottles end up in landfills or the ocean, where they will remain for hundreds of years, decomposing and seeping their harmful chemicals into the ground or water. The remaining 10% will go to recycling centers, where more energy is used to sort, melt, and remanufacture the bottles into new products. And this is just the glimpse into the life cycle of one product. We use so many other products in our day-to-day -day lives from electronics, clothing, and even food, that each goes through a very similar process. They require massive amounts of finite resource extraction, are produced in energy-intensive and greenhouse gas-emitting factories, are used for a short time, and are then relatively quickly thrown away. So, what does all this taking, making, and tossing add up to overall? The current linear economy or linear growth model, relies on draining Earth's finite resources, like metals and minerals. It also depends on land and water. And as I said earlier, we often forget that they too are limited. While raw material extraction processes like deforestation, agriculture, and mining provide us with all the products we need and want, this has come at the cost of destroying our planet at an alarming speed. In 2022, it was estimated that we would need almost two Earths worth of resources to sustain our current consumption rates. And by 2050, this is expected to rise to three whole Earths. What are the environmental impacts of the linear growth model? The linear economy is the driver of biodiversity loss. Biodiversity is the amount of variety of life on Earth, which includes animal and plant species. Deforestation is an example that affects both wildlife and plants. When large areas of forests are cleared, 
the trees become more vulnerable and scarce, and the animals living in those trees lose their habitat. Today, more than 90% of biodiversity loss is due to the extraction and processing of natural resources. Climate change is another huge concern. If you look at any chart that displays carbon dioxide levels over time, you will see that levels begin to rise in the late 1800s. If you are wondering why, think back to history class and the huge event that began just about then. You guessed it, the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution marked the birth of the linear model as we know it. Its idea of quick and streamlined production of new goods lives on and is only ramping up as the demand for new goods grows. And when demand goes up, so does extraction, manufacturing, and distribution of everything we consume, all of which, as we discussed earlier, contributes to CO2 emissions. Let's get back to waste and pollution and how the current linear system contributes to generating huge amounts of unnecessary waste and pollution. After we finish using an item, by throwing it away, we create waste in the form of single-use packaging, wasted food, broken items, clothes that no longer fit, and many others. As we already know, all this waste, compacted closely together, emits huge amounts of methane and other greenhouse gases that contribute to global warming. Who comes to mind as one of the largest consumers of goods? If you thought of teenagers, then you probably are one, or you are the parent of one. In the United States alone, there are 42 million teens who spend their money on a variety of products. I don't have to convince you that teenagers are extremely well aware of brands and social media. Gen Z spends up to $143 billion per year on everything from clothing and footwear, to cell phones and video games, cosmetics, and many other items. When it comes to making a purchase, we expect everything we want to be at our fingertips, from the most basic to the most sophisticated products. We buy a lot, and we buy often. As a result, we represent an excellent segment of the market for advertisers and businesses to target and allure to. I had the chance to interview Diana Watts, who is a professor of environmental policy at Trinity University and Johns Hopkins University. She sees that social media plays a big role. There's a great article on the fact that the TikTok influencers, which don't ask me too deeply what that is, but I mean, I have a general idea, you know, that what they're doing is in fact promoting kind of disposable fashion. And they're pushed by the designers to, you know, bring in all of this free clothing and really you know, unpackage it and make it look, you know, very, but it's also a behavioral model that says clothing can just be worn once and tossed. So it's a competing, that's a kind of competing push towards companies developing, you know, more, you know, again, more responsive, responsible ways of, of producing. Again, I'm, I'm interested more in sort of how the economy is getting retooled and how certain sectors are moving, you know, sort of moving towards more sustainable outcomes. And certainly, Advertising, peer pressure, and the sheer availability of new products triggers an unquenchable thirst for more stuff. This consumerist way of life is marked by buying things, using them briefly, and throwing them away when it's no longer trendy. So, while most of it may not even know it, 
we contribute to the negative effects of the linear economy. But at the same time, empowered by the knowledge of what is wrong with the current model of growth, with our preferences and habits, we can utilize our growing spending power to drive meaningful change and alter this linear system that is structured around untamed consumerism. Dr. Watts is very optimistic about future generations. I just think your generation is very smart. And I, you know, again, I teach. And so I'm also in contact and have been in contact for 10 years with, you know, sort of seeing this group pass through. Kind of the 17 to 20 plusers now, I find much more receptive, aware, creative, <laughs> and also not willing to settle, you know, not not being bought off by, okay, I'm going to go work for Goldman Sachs. And so, you know, what the hell, right? <laughs> I mean, there is a sense that this, is, this isn't um, playtime anymore. This is really serious. So I am very optimistic, again, in part because of people like you. So yes, I, I think it will work out. I just think that it will take everyone, you know, it, it will take everyone. And I do think there will be some changes required. But I think, again, generationally, you're more open to rethinking behaviors. You know, you're the ones that a little bit, the millennials a little bit before you were the ones who started to say, maybe we don't want these big houses stuffed full of all of these appliances and three car garages. You know, maybe that's not what we're reaching for. What are some implications of all these products that end up as waste? Firstly, it means that valuable materials found within many of these items are getting buried and not utilized anymore. Secondly, as we already discussed, it means that we must extract more raw materials from the earth and use more energy, water, and land to make new products and replace those that are sitting in the landfill unused. And finally, it means that the true value of these materials at their end of life is not recognized. They're simply seen as useless trash. Once we discard a product, we waste all the materials it is made of, along with all the energy, labor, knowledge invested at every stage of its development, production, packaging, and transportation processes. That's quite a waste. By now, we can see the negative impacts of the linear model. These impacts characterize it as being unsustainable. But what does it mean to be unsustainable versus sustainable? And how can an economic model be sustainable? To quickly recap, we now see that our current linear model of growth is unsustainable because it leads to an enormous amount of waste of valuable materials and relies on exploiting Earth's finite resources. Plus, it leads to massive amounts of greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to climate change. When you look up the definition of the word sustainability, you find that sustainability is all about meeting our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. What does this mean? There are three pillars of sustainability, social, economic, and environmental. The environmental pillar is what we will be focusing on in this podcast. Here, sustainability is defined by a responsible relationship with the environment to prevent the depletion or degradation of natural resources in order to allow for a healthy environment in the long term. Remember when we learned that on the current trajectory we consume as much as two Earths? This is because the resources we use 
at such a rapid rate cannot replenish fast enough. So, if we continue like this, these resources will eventually run out. This means that as we use natural resources to produce goods, we must ensure that they are able to replenish themselves at a steady rate. Let's explore this a bit deeper. The environment is quite literally all around us. It provides us with the air we breathe and the water we drink. And nature can teach us a lot about sustainability. When observing the natural environment, we notice that it has a remarkable ability to revitalize itself. For example, when a tree falls, it adds nutrients to the soil as it decomposes. These nutrients help maintain favorable conditions for new seedlings to grow. This metaphor also applies to humans. The living generations must pass on a suitable environment for future generations to prosper. Additionally, the social pillar is extremely important to address. Dr. Watts is a huge proponent of focusing on social equity when talking about sustainability and the circular economy. She described the donut model by economist Kate Raworth. Well, the donut model simply says that there are natural limits, but there's also an important social foundation. And often we talk a lot about trying to design the economy to sort of, you know, really contend with the natural limits, but we don't take into account sort of the impacts at, at a design level in terms of how that's impacting on the social foundation. Social foundation is just another word for, you know, health, you know, clean water, education. I mean, again, the things that Maybe there may be some disagreement as to sort of who should be funding them, but we also say things that lead to a, you know, a decent social environment. If people are focused just on the trying to deal with the environmental pieces around the circular economy and not addressing, let, let's say, the more systemic piece that really addresses the sort of social, you know, social justice and equity pieces, it has to look very different than it does currently. And I think that that's where the circular economy piece is interesting because it does raise the design issue. It does say, can we design systems to behave differently? Can we design products? Can we de design different ways of contending with waste? But at the same time, can we design in uh, social equity from the start in a lot of these processes as, as well? Let's explore this a bit deeper. The environment is quite literally all around us. It provides us with the air we breathe and the water we drink. And nature can teach us a lot about sustainability. When observing the natural environment, we notice that it has a remarkable ability to revitalize itself. For example, when a tree falls, it adds nutrients to the soil as it decomposes. These nutrients help maintain favorable conditions for new seedlings to grow. This metaphor also applies to humans. The living generations must pass on a suitable environment for future generations to prosper. Overall, the concept of sustainability is broad in how it relates to people, the planet, and the economy. And sustainability is a key idea behind the circular economy. Now, let's begin to dive into what this podcast is really about and explore the circular economy and touch on its central pillars. A circular economy has a completely different vision than the linear economy. The goal is to stop waste from being produced in the first place, or, in other words, decoupling economic growth from pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. It is a model which involves sharing, reusing, repairing, and recycling existing materials and products for as long as possible, basically 
keeping products in use for as long as they are suitable for use. When a product reaches its end of life, it is not thrown away into a landfill or the ocean, like in the linear model, but rather, the product and the materials it is made of are kept within the economy, or in the loop, whenever possible, to avoid waste. As we will learn in future episodes, there are important factors that contribute to making this happen. So, a circular economy really boils down to three concepts. First, specially designing out waste and pollution. Second, keeping products and materials in use for as long as possible. And finally, regenerating natural systems. That may seem a bit abstract, but don't worry. In upcoming episodes, we will dive into exactly what each of these pillars means, what they look like, what their impacts could be, and how companies, industries, cities, countries, and individuals are already implementing these principles. So, stay tuned to learn how adopting a circular economy can help the world transition away from consumerism and towards sustainability. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope that you found this first episode of the Circular Planet podcast to be interesting, and that you'll join me in the next episode as I'll be exploring whether we could prevent waste and pollution from even occurring in the first place. After all, creating and designing items while being mindful of all stages of their life cycle is the first pillar of the circular economy. I'd like to give a huge thank you to my guest Diana Watts for sharing her thoughts on the topics discussed in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on the platform you're listening on, and be sure to come back for our next episode, a discussion of the first principle of the circular economy, designing out waste and pollution. What design principles and methods will lead the way? Until then, see you next time. Circular Planet was researched, written, edited, and produced by Alicia Mazurkiewicz. This podcast is brought to you by Bethesda Green, a fantastic organization accelerating sustainable businesses. I'm an intern as part of their environmental leaders program that offers high school students the opportunity to learn about sustainability and environmental stewardship. You may find the resources I used in this podcast on the Bethesda Green website at www.bethesdagreen.org. I hope you will enjoy the podcast.